Um, at the summit last year, um, I had a word which I brought, and the word was, um, I think, largely misunderstood by everyone. Now, um, I'd been getting this thought from the Lord repeatedly for about a year up to last year, and the thought was, take responsibility for the apostolic. So that thought was coming to me, and I've been thinking a lot about it. What did it mean to take responsibility for the apostolic? And um, that's, you know, I still am trying to figure that out in some ways. Still trying to figure out what that means. Um, first of all, that's confusing because most people don't know when you say take responsibility for the apostolic, they don't know what the apostolic is. So we've recently redefined that as authentic Christianity the way that God intended it from the beginning. So, but we'll just say apostolic because it's quicker to say that. <laughs> so take responsibility for that. And I preached about, you know, I just basically preached all around that idea. And after I'd preached about that, it seemed like everyone got the impression that that was a word for me. And that the Lord was talking to me that I had to take responsibility for the apostolic, when in fact, what I was trying to say was that you all needed to take responsibility for the apostolic. Um, so I'm just going to very briefly take 10 minutes and clear that up, because I've been meaning to clear that up for a while, that this is not my job. It's my job to make sure that it's your job. Okay? So it's like um, all things to do with the gospel, it's not the pastor's job. It's the pastor's job to make sure everyone else is doing it. And um, a lot of churches around the world think that the pastor has to do everything spiritual, like the bus driver, and everyone else just sits on the bus for a ride. But no, it's very clear from Ephesians 4 that the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists are to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ can become built up. So in other words, it's God's people who are to do the works, and it's the pastors, you know, basically the leaders in the church. It's their job to get everybody out there doing the work. And um, so, you know, A, motivate them to work, and B, help them to work if they don't know what they're doing. So when the Lord said, take responsibility for the apostolic, he wasn't telling me that it's all up to me to do stuff. No, he's telling me that I've got to tell you <laughs> to do stuff. All right? So I have to just get that all cleared up really quickly because I don't, I'm not taking a long time over this point today. But the point is that the Lord wants an authentic Christianity of a type that has never really existed. The early Christians were starting out on a journey of becoming authentic Christians and they were further back than what we are now. We think that they were further ahead, but no, they were further back. They had a lot of hurdles, and I've, I've talked about this in previous messages. We're ahead of them. A lot of the issues that have been worked out in the, his, in the history of Christianity over the last 2,000 years, slavery, all sorts of stuff have been worked out. We're ahead. We're ahead of where those Christians were 2,000 years ago. But we haven't got it all figured out. We're in search of the type of authentic Christianity that God always intended from the beginning, it's the type of thing the apostles preached at. That's why it's called the apostolic message. It's the message of the apostles. 
and it's where we're headed, and we just call it the apostolic to make it, to simply define it. And so when I say that you're supposed to take responsibility for the apostolic, it's the burden of, of making this happen is on you as it is as much on me or on any other Christian. The Lord's calling us to put our shoulders to the yoke and say, Lord, you know, can we be a part of bringing about the authentic thing that you want in the world? And um, so there's this story. It's, it's one of the first stories in the Bible. I've talked about it many times. It's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 9. It's the story of Cain and Abel. It's not just a story. It's in the Bible for a reason. It makes a gigantic point right at the beginning of the Bible. We often read stories in the book of Genesis and we think they're just a story to, to give us history about how we got to where we are. Yeah, it's history. It, it helps us understand why things are the way they are. But these Old Testament stories have a point to make. And the more you meditate upon them, the more God speaks. And so this point way back there in Genesis chapter 4 is, you know, Cain and Abel, very quickly, it says in verse 3, uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? We can explore this story at great detail and great length, uh, which we're not going to do right now, but there's two questions in the end of that story where is your brother? And the second question, am I my brother's keeper? Those two questions are right at the start of the Bible and they are at the heart of what it means to be an authentic Christian. Question number one, if you're going to be an authentic Christian, where is your brother? That's a question that Christians just don't get. Christians don't see the answer to that question very easily at all. They think that their brother is just a few people in the church that they attend. They think that's their brother and sister. They don't see it. Or if they do think wider than that, they often think it's some kind of poor persecuted Christian in Pakistan. They think, oh, that's my brother. But they never think of all the other Christians in their lives and all the other congregations in the other cities that are around them. They don't think anything about those people. But then along with that is the question, am I my brother's keeper? Um, God doesn't kind of answer the question. And uh, the first question God asks, where is your brother? God still asks you that question. He's asking you, where is your brother or your sister? It means the same thing. But the second question, Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? You notice God doesn't answer the question, but we all do know what the answer is, right? What was the answer? Yes, he was. Authentic Christianity is the answer to that question. You are your brother's keeper. So if I was to say, the word that the Lord was giving me that I've been meditating on for two years, you know, take responsibility for the apostolic, what it means is take responsibility 
for the body of Christ or take responsibility for the fellow believers that are around you. That's a huge part of what it means to be an authentic Christian. So you might see um, someone in your, in your church struggling. We've all been told, you know, love your brother, which includes love your sister. It's just the Bible is often written in this kind of masculine language. But, it, you know, love your fellow believer. We know that in our fellow church, we see someone struggling. We know, oh, we should be praying for them and helping them because they're in our immediate church. But we might drive past another congregation in the city not think twice about them, never pray for them, or if we hear bad news about them, we might even be happy. Has anyone ever been happy when they heard something bad happen to another church? You don't have to put up your hand or anything. But the average Christian has celebrated when another church in town does not do well. Now, why on earth would they do that? That's, that's terrible. That's your brother. That's your sister. That's a little bit like Cain murdering his brother right there. When you celebrate a fellow believer's struggle because, ha-ha, we're better than them, look how, look how they're struggling. That's just like the sin of murder all over again. And, you know, God would ask you the question, where is your brother? And you, may as well, you might very well ask back, am I my brother's keeper? But yes, you are. Well, see, all of this is part of taking responsibility for the apostolic. We, and fortunately our church has done fairly well with this whole area, but for us to become what God wants, we have to take responsibility for the spiritual welfare of others and the spiritual welfare of our city. We want people to do well. We want the other churches to do well because it's God's work. It's God's sheep. So when we take responsibility and we care, that pleases the Lord. And um, I've always said, those who know me well, I've always said, because a lot of pastors just want a big church because it makes them look good. I've always said I'd rather all the other churches be big and mine just be comfortable because that makes my life so much easier. Well, you know, when the church gets really big, life gets complicated. But what would, could be better than pouring your heart into prayer seeing the body of Christ as a whole just do really well and have it be all the other pastor's responsibility and get to just enjoy a quiet life of prayer. and Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, whatever the Lord wills, we receive. So if the Lord wants us, and, and we are supposed to grow, we're supposed to believe to be fruitful for the gospel and we welcome the Lord's fruitfulness. So we're not going to reject that. But I've never ever felt that competitive streak that says, oh, I want to be better than anyone else. No, I'm actually wanting other people to be better than us. It's a far more relaxing life for me. There's churches in town that put on mega gospel musicals every year and they spend six months in rehearsals. Well, thank God it's them. That's all I can say. I could do without six months of rehearsals and planning. And, <laughs> you know, there's lots of churches that do great other things. Thank God for that. I don't feel any sense of competition with them at all. I'm so grateful that between us all, we are a whole. And so I am thrilled to see other churches do well. We are called to serve others. That's a part of taking responsibility for the apostolic. So it, it means things like going to prayer. You know, Jonathan mentioned that the watch is on this week. We've restarted the watch 
about five or six weeks ago, it's Friday night prayers are back on. That watch may feel to you just like another prayer meeting. You may never even have been to it. But that prayer meeting represents the opportunity to take responsibility for God's work and say, I am a part of what God is doing and I am lending my time and my heart, my prayers and my faith to that because I want to see God's will and his purposes come to pass. Joining in on a morning prayer meeting once a week because that's a Christian thing to do, saying I am lending my effort to the purposes of God. We serve and we give our hearts because that's a part of what it means to be an authentic Christian. And you may feel, now when you're in that type of a lifestyle and you attend prayer meetings and you read your Bible and you share the gospel with people when the opportunities arise, it doesn't feel uh, like a lightning flash of brilliance is going off at every moment. It feels very much normal life. I can tell you that I've lived a life with lots of prayer meetings for like 20 to 30 years. Since I was about 15, I started attending prayer meetings in this church, 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. That was my prayer meeting. I'd ride my bike to the prayer meeting some days because my father was ministering overseas in Manila or somewhere. I would ride my bike at 4.30 to the church in a freezing winter morning, gloves on my fingers and all. I started going to prayer meetings and I can tell you that just because I went to the prayer meeting didn't make it warmer. It was freezing. And when I came home, it didn't necessarily make me any less tired. It was normal old life, but that's a part of serving the Lord. And what I'm trying to say to you is when you commit yourself to Christ and do the things he wants, it doesn't mean you're going to get a good feeling. Although, the Lord does give you plenty of joy because there's purpose in it. You know your life has meaning. So there's joy that comes from knowing you're serving the Lord and doing things for him. But what I'm saying is that if you were to say, I'm going to do these things for the Lord so I get a good feeling, uh, well, that would be the wrong reason for doing it, and you may not feel any different to what you felt before. No, we lay down our feelings. We lay down our preferences for the sake of Christ, just like Christ laid down his life for, for our sakes. And when we lay down what we want and we say, Lord, what you want, then the Lord blesses us. And that's a part of what it means to be an authentic Christian. So in um, John chapter 13, there's the whole story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. You know that, right? John chapter 13. You can read it at home, verses 1 through 17. Jesus is, it's the Last Supper. Jesus takes off his outer clothing, gets a towel, and he goes around the table washing his disciples' feet. We don't feel, we don't get a sense of how shocking that was because we don't live in a culture with servants. Um, when I was a child, I lived in Papua New Guinea, and we had a, a house worker. We didn't call him a servant. But we had a houseworker because in Papua New Guinea and in lots of places like India, there are people who are not educated, there are people who cannot get a normal job, but they will work for just a few dollars an hour and do household chores, ironing and all of that. When we lived in Papua New Guinea, both my parents were in full-time ministry. So we had this house guy that would come and do our laundry and he would work for you know five or six or eight or ten hours a week doing stuff. And so he was, I guess you could say, a servant to us. We didn't call him a servant, but it would never have entered our minds to serve him. 
You know what I mean? It would never have entered in our minds at the time to go to his house, to do his laundry, or to iron his clothes. I mean, we were paying him after all. Servants in the ancient world weren't paid, but they were provided for. They were given a roof over their head and they were given food. But in the end, they were the possession of someone else. They were property. So it would never have entered into anyone's minds to do a servant's work. They were property. But Jesus takes off his outer robes, he gets a towel, and he does a servant's work. We, we, we just can't quite put ourselves into that place, but let's just say it was a shocking thing to do. And um, it was so shocking that Peter said, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I mean, you know, we just think Peter was being dramatic, but Peter just really got probably a greater sense of how inappropriate this was. This is inappropriate for the Lord to wash my feet. It's not right. He's the Lord. And it wasn't right. But Jesus said, no, this is the example that I'm giving you of what the kingdom of God is like. Well, he washed his followers feet and then he said do it for each other that's a part of what it means to be an authentic Christian too it's not just recognizing your brother it's not just taking responsibility for them it's serving them so when we were out in Longreach Baptist this week and we ran their prayer meeting for them we didn't pray what we wanted to pray what did we do we actually asked, there was some locals there in the prayer meeting, there were six or seven of them, and we actually said, what, what are the things going on in your church that we can pray for? How can we serve you? We want to know what your needs are. We prayed for those needs. So that's serving them. It's not putting our preferences ahead of them, it's putting their preferences ahead of us. And I know we're all humans, and we make mistakes, and we get it wrong, um, but it's, that's our motivation, okay? So it's not saying you have to do a perfect job of these things, but it's saying this is the reason why we do that. We go to serve because we want to put other people first for the sake of Christ. Many years ago, my father came up with an acronym which would best summarise, I guess, our values at peace. And the acronym was S-T-I-H-L, STILL, you think of those chainsaws that you, you can buy a still lawn, a still chainsaw, and there used to be a cool ad with a jingle. It's still working. Um, if you're too young, just go on, you know, YouTube. I'm sure the ads there on YouTube. Um, but S T I H L. It stood for serve, teach, impart, honour, and love. That's always been our goal. It's it's our goal right here in Rockhampton. There are other churches in Rockhampton, and our goal is to serve them. Our goal is to now to teach them, not that we think we're better than them, but that we think we've got things that will bless them, and we, we strive to do that. Impart means we've received blessings from the Lord, and we want them to receive the same blessings, so we pray for them. That's an impartation. Honour, which means to, to think highly of them and to speak well of them. We don't want to speak lowly of others and to drag them down or think lowly of others in our mind. No, we want to think highly of them because the Lord loves them too. It's very easy to think lowly of fellow Christians that you don't know. It's very easy to say, oh, those Catholics, they're all just A, B, and C. Or those Presbyterians, they're all X, Y, and Z. It's very easy to say those rotten AOG people, or you know, people you don't know, you just generalize them and paint them all with a brush 
But when you get to meet those people, you find out something. You find out the Holy Spirit lives inside of them and the Lord has called them. And some of them were born into that church and they've grown up there and that's all they know, but they're doing their best to serve the Lord and you realise they're good, good people. So you honour them and it's, you, you can't dishonour someone that you don't know. And I almost want to say, how dare you dishonour someone you don't know? How dare you speak ill of, say, Catholics or Presbyterians or Pentecostals or anyone? You don't know who those people are and yet you drag their name through the mud. You cannot do that because they're the Lord's people. You may as well just dishonour the Lord. So we honour people. We speak highly of them. Yes, they have their faults, but we try to overlook them as best we can because the Lord has overlooked our faults. And the last thing is love. And love means many things. And sometime I'm going to talk about love because Christians misunderstand love. And um, love, anyway, love's far more complicated than the average Christian thinks. And I'm going to talk about love. Um, yeah, that's a subject for another day. And uh, you've heard more sermons on love than about anything else, and you've probably misunderstood it a lot. So we're called to serve, to teach, impart, to honour and to love. And it all has to do, 90% has to do with our attitudes towards other people and our willingness to put them first above, above ourselves. And this is your calling. So we do things for people with no strings attached. We don't expect them to honour us back. We don't expect them to love us back. We don't expect them to serve us back or to impart any blessings for us back, or pray for us in return. We don't expect anything. That's not godly. It's not godly to do something for someone and then expect them to do something back for you because Christ gives his life for us as a no-strings-a-gift. He, now, he wants us, he would like us to respond to his love, but he doesn't require it of us. And that's the nature of true love. True love does something for someone but doesn't require something back in return. It would like it back in return but doesn't require it. If you require it, it's not an authentic gift. So that's a part of being a true Christian as well. So we've got a journey to make. And so when I started exploring this thought, what does it mean to take responsibility for the apostolic? The first thing I want to say is that it is your responsibility just as much as mine. But I guess the second thing I'm realising is there's a journey that we're making in terms of our, our, our attitudes, I guess, and our values towards fellow Christians. Recognising those who are our brother and our sister in faith and changing what we think about them. Trying to look at them the way that Jesus looks at them. Yes, they're imperfect, but so are you. So the Lord looks at you with a big heart and open love and that's the way we would look at our fellow believers too. If you require your fellow believers to be perfect so that you can love them, you've just judged them and you've disqualified yourself because the gospel, Jesus Christ himself says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if you require a fellow believer to be perfect so that you can give them any love or service, then you are asking the Lord to not serve you or love you unless you're perfect too which is a terrible mistake to make, and you know that the Lord loves you without requiring you to be perfect, and he perseveres with you over a lifetime. And so we realise 
I should persevere with my fellow believer over a lifetime as well because that's a part of being an authentic Christian. So we're on a journey to being apostolic. We're on a, now we've been on this journey for 30 years, but we're still on the journey and it's, you know, we're exploring it more. We're on a journey into what it means to take responsibility for it. It's not a John Alley job, you know, it's not a job for Jonathan or Philip or myself or any of the leaders, it's a job for you. So you need to go home and do things like examine your attitudes. <laughs> Say, is there any a part of me that's, any part, of, any part of attitudes that I have that just stink? Well, you've got to ferret them out and get rid of them. Is there any unforgiveness in your heart? You've got to locate it and give it the boot. You've got to get your, your feelings and your values clean. And you've got to say, I am here to serve Christ. And what that means is serve your fellow brother, serve your fellow sister, not just the people in your local church. And mostly that'll be the work of prayer. But sometimes it'll be the work of action when the Lord brings those opportunities along. And if you ask the Lord to give you the opportunities, you'll find they become more and more common. So that's my message for today. And I'm going to invite the band to come back it's just a brief one, but I wanted to go back to that sermon at the, at the summit a few years ago and point out the fact that, no, it's you that has to take responsibility for the apostolic, and um, I'm here to tell you that. <laughs> so I would just ask you to make it a matter of your prayers. And I would, I would, I guess if there was one question you are to pray through, it would be the question of who is, who is my brother? I would say, ask the Lord to open your eyes to show you who your brother and who your sister is in Christ. And you're going to start to see them all over the place. And then when you see them, start pouring your prayers into those people. And that's going to cause you to love them. The things you pray for are the things you will love. And this is something that I have learned. I'd never heard anyone preach this. but Because I, I always thought you pray for the things you love but what I have come to learn is that you love the things you pray for. It's back to front. So I have learned it's a little bit like, I've said this, given this illustration before, it's like the stock exchange. You don't love a share and then decide because you love it to put money in. You put money in and then love the share. So there could be some obscure company, you know, that's, that you never heard of before, you know. Hornwell, you know, Minerals Limited or something. I'm, I'm just making something up. You never heard of them, but you sink $1,000 into them. The next thing, you're interested in the welfare of this company. This obscure company with directors you don't know of, and they're located in, you know, the United Kingdom or somewhere. And you know, you, all of a sudden, because you've invested in them, they matter to you. It's the same with your prayers. You start praying for your fellow believer now they matter to you because you've invested into them. So if you want to love your fellow Christian, pray for them. Don't do it once. You start praying for someone who's sick in hospital, you want to know, are they getting better? You want to know the outcome of your prayers. And that's one of the reasons why it's easy to love a church like Longreach Baptist because we've been praying for that church on Outback trips every year and sometimes in between as well for 10 years. So you go there you walk in the door and you feel just good. Here we are. This is a church. We've been praying for these guys. How are they doing? You want to know. You feel at home. They don't necessarily have the feeling in return 
because they don't know you've been praying for, for them and they don't, haven't been praying for us in return. But when you walk in the door, you love them. And that's a part of being an authentic Christian too, love. So pray, work out who your brother and sister is in Christ, invest into them through your prayers, let your love grow. All of this pleases the Lord. Father, I thank you for these thoughts today. I thank you they've been hidden in scripture all along and you're making them clear to us. And I pray your Holy Spirit would take these words and make them live within our hearts. Lord, build your church and may the gates of hell not prevail. Build your church here in Rockhampton. Build your church all through this region of central Queensland. Build your church in our nation of Australia. Lord, I pray for the leaders of the various churches and denominations in this nation to come to recognise one another and love one another so that the church as a whole might be strong. Lord, have your way in our hearts. And this morning I would pray that you'd bless every believer here and bless every believer that's joined us online and bless every believer that'll watch this video in the future. Father, I pray that the word of truth can rest in their hearts, prosper them, and may they do well in faith and may grace flow to them and through them. In the name of Jesus, amen.